Well, if you can get Ariana to come over here, she could take your place. Hmm. She's just gonna. She's just gonna interrupt me anyway. No, she's not. Go get her. Yeah. Go get her. Ariana. I just need someone to sit there so I can bounce off somebody with the podcast. Take off your headphones, you'll know. <laughs> Damn, somebody had too many bitch flakes to take. I did. We're doing John Wayne Gacy. Uh, Jervis! Oh, I got the mic on. <laughs> Go grab her. Tell her, you need to take my spot. You owe me. dog is super loud when he breathes. Well, this was Dominic's idea to do John Wayne Gacy, but he's half asleep or dying. I have no idea. He looks like a zombie right now. So he's gonna... asleep too. She's asleep too. Y'all know that I was supposed to be doing a podcast. I didn't know you were doing one today. Well, yeah, because I was supposed to do it yesterday, remember? Oh, yeah. Well, just sit down and listen. I'll just read it to you, okay? It's John Wayne Gacy. Do you remember that one? All right. So, he was born in 1942. I think he died in 1942. It's not on. It is on. It's been recording this whole time. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't even get you. So, he was often called the killer clown, was one of the worst serial killers in United States history, raping and murdering at least 33 young male victims. Who was John Wayne Gacy? John Wayne Gacy was an American serial killer and rapist who took the lives of 33 young males in Cook County, Illinois. I cannot believe you made me do John Wayne Gacy, Dominic. <laughs> Burying most under the under his house. Other bodies were, re were recovered from the nearby uh, Des Plaines River. Sometimes known as the killer clown for his habit of dressing in a clown costume and makeup. Gacy had an abusive childhood and struggled with his homosexuality. After being convinced of, of sexual assault in 1968, Gacy's murders were discovered. So he was pretty bad in life because he had a bad, rough start. Gacy was born on March 17, 1942, in Chicago, Illinois. The son of a Danish and Pol the son of Danish and not the Danish Danish and Polish parents, Gacy and his siblings grew up with an alcoholic father who would beat the children with a razor strap if they were perceived to have misbehaved. His father physically assaulted Gacy's mother as well. What the hell's a razor strap? Oh, I think it's to sharpen the razors when you're cutting um, your face up. I said that completely wrong, but I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Gacy's sister, Karen, would later say that the siblings learned to toughen up against the beatings and that Gacy would not cry. Gacy suffered further alienation at school, unable to play with other children due to congenital heart condition that was looked upon by his father as another failing. He later realized he was attracted to men and experienced great turmoil over his sexuality. Baba, you're fine asleep. Mm. You're not even listening to John Hooker Gacy. You can go lay down, baby. Thanks, Mom. I think I got this. All right. I gotta start doing this by myself anyway. Thank you. Career, wife, yes, wife, and kids.
Gacy worked as a fast food chain manager during the 1960s and became a self-made building contractor and Democratic precinct captain in the Chicago suburbs, suburbs <clears throat> excuse me, in the 1970s. Well-liked in his community, Gacy organized culture gatherings and was active in political organizations and the Gacy's civic group. He was married and divorced twice and had two biological children, in addition to two stepdaughters. Well, sounds like he was trying to be normal. Clown. Gacy was a member of a Chicago-area Jolly Joker clown club and frequently performed in clown attire and makeup at children's parties, charity, fundraisers, and other events. When he killed, he sometimes dressed as his alter egos, Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. Why does he have two egos? Alter egos. That's just... Hmm. Well, I guess one clown ain't crappier enough. We'll pull out the other one. The quote-unquote killer clown sometimes lured his victims with the promise of construction work or some other ruse and then captured, sexually assaulted, tortured, and eventually strangled most of them with his hands or with rope. And we've already initiated when you're strangling, it's kind of more of a personal effect, and it takes longer. Strangulation takes about a good five, ten minutes. Because you have the, you know, unconsciousness, and then initially, oh, what is it? Suffocation. So, lost my place. Years later, during a conversation with detectives while he was under surveillance, Gacy discussed his works as a clown, remaking Clowns Can't Get Away with Murder. Not remaking, remarking. Clowns Can't Get Away with Murder. Sexual Assaults and Murders In 1968, Gacy was convinced of sexually assaulting two teen boys and given a 10-year-old... <clears throat> Baby girl, read right. <laughs> Ten-year prison sentence. He was released on parole in the summer of 1970, so I only kept him for a couple of years, but was arrested again the following year after another teen accused Gacy of sexual assault. The charges were dropped when the boy didn't appear during the trial. Oh, that's bad. By the middle of the 1970s, two more young males accused Gacy of rape. And he would be questioned by police about the disappearances of others. Gacy referred to this period of his life as his cruising years when he committed most of his murders. Cruising years? What the hell does that even mean? Cruising for a bruising? Oh my god, that's just terrible. On December 11th, 1978, 15-year-old Robert Peast. Peast? Peast? It's like priest, but without the R. Went missing. It was reported to the police the boy was seen by his mother at a drugstore where he worked before he headed out to meet Gacy to discuss a potential construction job. Ten days later, a police search of Gacy's house in Norwood Park, Illinois, uncovered the evidence of his involvement in numerous crimes, including murder. It was later discovered that Gacy had committed his first known killing in 1972. Wow. Uh... 1972. So, and then he was released on uh, in parole. On parole in the summer of 1970. So, two years later, taking the life of a 16-year-old Timothy McCoy after luring the the youth to his home. After a lengthy period 
of police surveillance and investigation and the discovery of several trenches filled with human remains in the crawl space beneath his house, Gacy eventually confessed to killing about 30 people. Jeez Louise. Victim number 24. <clears throat> Over the years, there have been lingering concerns that Gacy may have been responsible for the deaths of other people whose bodies have yet to be found. And when police uncovered human remains in Gacy's house in 1978, eight bodies could not be identified. Mm. More recently, Cook County authorities used DNA evidence to identify Gacy's unidentified victims in 2017. One of those men, victim number 24, was identified as a 16-year-old James Jimmy Brian Hackinson. In 1976, Hackinson left his home in St. Paul, Minnesota, and traveled to Chicago to begin life in the city. On August 5th, he called his mother to let her know he had arrived. However, police believed Gacy killed him shortly thereafter. In 1979, Hawkinson's mother had contacted authorities to find out if her son was one of Gacy's victims, but she didn't have dental records, and the department lacked sufficient resources to identify him as a victim. Hackinson's mother died in the early 2000s, but other family members provided DNA samples in 2017, and the authorities made an immediate match to victim number 24. Trial and insanity plea. Gacy's trial began on February 6, 1980, with Gacy having confessed to the crimes. The arguments were focused on whether he could be declared insane and thus remitted to a state mental facility. Wait, they claimed his ass insane? Oh my God. Oh my God. Dark day. Gacy had told police that the murders had been committed by an alternate personality. All personalities, because he's got two clowns. Hello. Can't forget about Pogo. While mental health professionals testified for both sides about Gacy's mental state. After a short jury deliberation, Gacy was ultimately found guilty of committing 33 murders and he became known as one of the most ruthless serial killers in U.S. history. He was sentenced to serve 12 death sentences and 21 natural life sentences. What is the point of doing that? I mean, seriously, he's never going to get out. Can you just, can anyone declare, I pardon you, one life sentence? Is that a thing? Hmm. Execution. Gacy was imprisoned at the Murnan Correctional Center in Illinois. Menard? It's in Illinois. For almost a decade and a half, appealing the sentence and offering contradictory statements on the murders and in the interviews. In interviews. Though he had confessed, Gacy later denied being guilty of the charges and had a 900 telephone number set up with a 12-minute record statement declaring his innocence. As both anti-death penalty forces and those in favor of the execution made their opinion known, Gacy died by lethal injection on May 10, 1994, at the Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill, Illinois. John Wayne Gacy's art. Oh, good grief. He's an artist now. While in prison at the Correctional Center, Gacy took up studying the visual arts, especially painting. His paintings were shown to the public via an exhibition at a Chicago gallery. Many of his paintings depict Gacy as Pogo the Clown. 
Oh, what's up? What, the other one ain't gonna get no recognition? What's the, what was the other clown's name? Damn, I already forgot. Patches, patches. I'm gonna come, probably gonna be patchy. Hmm. In 2017, Moloch's auctions in Shrokesphere? 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 Yeah, fuck, it's in the UK. Auctioned off a number of Gacy's artwork as well as crime scene pictures from Gacy's trial. Three of Gacy's paintings, including two originals of I Am Pogo the Clown, and they call him Mr. Gacy, sold for £4,000 and £325? Well, I ain't gonna be quid, so... Respectively. <laughs> Eight other works went unsold. Movie. A 1992 television movie titled To Catch a Killer explored the efforts to find out what happened to the missing teenage boys who were later discovered to be among Gacy's victims. The movie starring Brian... I don't know these people. Margot Kidder. That name sounds so familiar. Michael Riley. That name does not sound familiar. Where's Avery? Avery, where are you? Was nominated for an Emmy Award for uh, Dehenny's performance. Brian Dehenny. Denny? Denny? Nah, fuck it, I don't know. According to Brian, Gacy wrote a letter to him from prison protesting his portrayal in the film and proclaiming his innocence. So the dude's house was located at um, Somerdale Avenue in Norwood Park. This is just uh, east of the Chicago International Airport. On several occasions, visitors, visitors and family members reported that the house had an unusual stench, which Gacy attributed to mold or rodents. A simple one-story ranch house in the middle-class neighborhood, Gacy had outfitted his home with a trap door leading to a crawl space beneath the house, where he would dispose of many of his victims' bodies. Others were buried in the backyard or dumped in the nearby Desplans River. I heard that, Arabelle. Uh-huh. In 1978, with Gacy under arrest, <laughs> the house was dismantled in an effort to find more evidence. The following year, the house and all structures on the property were demolished, and a new house was eventually built on the property. The end. That was bleak. I mean, it wasn't as bleak as Jeffrey Dahmer. I saw some pictures... I didn't think I would. I can't unsee either from the Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer, I came talk. Dahmer one. This is where Dominic would put his two cents in. And sleuth more. <laughs> He's sleepy. So, not bad. Um, I want to talk about Halloween and how it came to be. I got this information off the History Channel. And it's, it's girthy. So, hold on to your... How did you say it? Hold on to your butts. Anyway, Halloween is a holiday celebrated each year on October 31st. And Halloween 2020 will occur on Saturday. And nobody will be able to trick-or-treat. Isn't that fun? Don't you just love when shit happens that way? Life is so messy. It really is. <sighs> anyway, the tradition or originated with the ancient Celtic festival of... Whoa. S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Saman? I'll let y'all decide. When people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints. Soon, all saints 
day incorporated some of the traditions of what we're going to call it Sam. The evening before was known as All Hallows Eve and later Halloween. Over time, Halloween involved, evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, fest festive gatherings, donning costumes, and eating treats. Yeah, I'm just going to be eating treats that day. Ancient Origins of Halloween Halloween's origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival. We've already said this. God, Karma don't know how to read before she starts reading. So the Celts, who lived 2,000 years ago, mostly in the area that is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France celebrated their new year on November 1st. The day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of year that was often associated with human death. Oh, oh, gotcha. Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. That's thirty first, I, I guess. On the night of October thirty first, they celebrated Sam when it was believed. It sounds so weird. When it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to Earth, in addition to causing trouble. Ooh, you know what? I know reading tarot is going to be uh, one of the monthly things of October. I wonder if I should do that on the 31st. We'll find out. That's, I don't know what day. I think it's on the last week of October. I don't know. We'll see. All right. So, where was I? In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids or Celtic priests to make predictions about the future. For the people entirely dependent on the volatile nature or natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort during the long, dark winter. To commemorate the event, Druids built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. Why is it an animal always has to be sacrificed? What's up with that? Why is it the innocence? Is it? Because it's funny. Well, I don't know. Anyway. I need someone to bounce off of. <laughs> during, during the celebration, the Celts wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins in an attempt to tell each other's fortunes. I mean, when you read that out loud, that just sounds fucking loony. Think about it. I'm going to put on this animal head. It's my new hat. You like it? Just got it off freshly off a of sheep earlier today. And this skin, this is horse. It's fine, you know, it's a little rough, but you know, you know, my brother beat me to the fucking wolf skin, so what am, what am I going to do? You want me to tell you fortune or what? This is weird, right? Am I the only one? Ah. When the celebration was over, they relit their fires, which they had extinguished earlier that evening from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming winter. By 43 AD, the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory in... In the course of the 400 years they ruled the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Sam. The first was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. The second was a day in honor of Pomona. Pomona? Pomona? We're going to call that one Palm. The Roman goddess of fruit and trees. 
The symbol of palm is the apple, and the, incorpor the incorporation of the celebration into Sam had probably explains the tradition of bobbing for apples that is practiced today on Halloween. Next, All Saints Day. On May 13th, 609 AD, Pope Bonafici the Fifth. Wait, what's IV? I forget. Is that four or five? Oh my god, Arabo left. Okay, it's IV. <laughs> Dedicated the pan, um, pathon, pan, Pantheon in Rome. Oh my god. In honor of. Christian martyrs and the Catholic feast of our Martyrs Day was established in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as martyrs and moved the ob the observance from May 13th to November 1st. Because why the hell not? Why, why are you moving stuff? Why was it on May 13th? That's just an odd number. Cinco de Mayo. Hmm. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with all supplemented older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Souls Day. I won't be celebrating that. That sounds pretty kinky. A day to honor the dead. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related church sanctioned holiday. Does not mean to say the word sanctioned that way. Sometimes my words trip and fall on themselves and they sound like that. All Souls Day was celebrated similarly to Sam, with big bonfires, parades, dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils, as opposed to, you know, animal heads, skin pelts, and future reads. The future reads? Yeah. All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallowmas? Hallowmas? Mm, okay. From Middle English, All Hallowmasse, meaning All Saints Day. I probably said that wrong too. Please, feel free to make fun of me. And the night before it, the traditional night of Sam in the Celtic religion began to be called All Hallows Eve and eventually Halloween. Hallowmas. Are we going for like a Christmas? Halloween comes to America. The celebration of Halloween was extremely limited to colonial New England because of the rigid Protestant belief systems there. Halloween was much more common in Maryland and the southern colonies. As the beliefs and customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians matched, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebration included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, dance and sing. Sounds nice. Colonial Halloween festivals festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief makings of all kinds. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivals were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in, this, in the country. In the second half of the 19th century, American was flooded with new immigrants. These new in immigrants, especially the millions of the Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, I gotta look that up, what is that about? Helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationality. History of trick-or-treating. 
Borrowing from the European traditions, Americans began to dress up in costumes and go house to house asking for food or money. We need to bring money back. Food? Really? I mean, this sounds like, um, kind of like, uh, what is it? Hobonism. Is hoboism a word? Please, feel free to make fun of me. <laughs> a practice that eventually became today's trick or treat tradition. Young women believed that on Halloween, they could divine the name and appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn and apple pairings or What did I just read? Young women believed that on Halloween, they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple pairings, or mirrors. Okay. I have no fucking clue what I just read. Still. <laughs> divine the name. D-I-V-I-N-E. Am I saying that wrong? Divin. Now I'm, now I'm questioning words. Oh my god. And if you... Listen to my Snapchat not long ago. I'm going to sound pretty stupid. In the late 1800s, there was a movie in America to mold Halloween into a holiday more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghost pranks and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, foods of the season, and festive costumes. Yay! Parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders to take anything frightening or grotesque out of the Halloween celebrations. Man, but that's the fun stuff. Because of these efforts, Halloween lost most of its superstitious and religious overtones by the beginning of the 20th century. Alright, Halloween parties. By the 1920s and 30s, Halloween had become a secu uh, secular but community-centered holiday with parades and town-wide Halloween parties as the featured entertainment. Despite the best efforts of many schools and communities, vandalism began to plague some celebrations in many communities during this time. <sighs> Can't take the trick out of trick-treating. By the 1950s, town leaders had successfully limited vandalism in Halloween, had evolved into a holiday directed mainly at the young. Due to the high numbers of young children during the 50s baby boom, parties moved from town civic centers into the classroom or home where they could be more easily accommodated. Between 1920 and 50, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. Trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. In theory, families could also prevent tricks being played on them by providing the neighborhood children with small treats. Thus, a new American tradition was born, and it has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it one of the country's second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. Why the hell am I doing a podcast? I should be getting into the Halloween trend here, then. Hmm. Halloween movies. Speaking of commercial success, scary Halloween movies have... A long history of being box office hits. Classic Halloween movies include the Halloween franchise based on the 1978 original film directed by John Carpenter and starring Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Tony Moran. In Halloween, a young boy named Michael Myers murders, murders, murders his 17-year-old sister and is committed to jail, only to escape as a teen on Halloween night and seek out his home, old home, and a new target. Wait, he was supposed to be a teen? 
Dude, he looked like he was in his 30s already. God. Considering a classic horror. Oh, I do love this movie. And if you pay attention, I'm going to ruin it for you as it was ruined for me. You can tell this was done in like summer or in California anyway. Because in certain shots you see nice fall leaves. But if you look in the background, it's all green grass and no leaf to be found just in the area where the actors were. Ha ha. <laughs> ah shit, I lost my place. Considered a classic horror film due down to its spooky soundtrack, it inspired 11 other films in the franchise and other slasher films like Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and Friday the 13th. More family-friendly Halloween movies include Hocus Pocus, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Beetlejuice, and it's The Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. All Souls Day and Soul Cakes. Ooh, I'm going to get on board on Soul Cakes. What's that about? The American Halloween tradition of trick-or-treating probably dates back to the early All Souls Day parades in England. During the festivities, poor citizens would beg for food and families would give them pastries called soul cakes. In return, further promise to pray for the family's dead relatives. I can get on board with that. Damn, soul cake sounds good. The, despre- the, des- the, desperation- the distribution of soul cakes was encouraged by the church as a way to replace the ancient practice of leaving food and wine for roaming spirits and probably roaming kids. The practice, which was referred to as going a souling. What? Going a soul. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was cheesy. Was eventually taken up by children who would visit the house in their neighborhood and give and be given ale, food, or money. I like the money bit. And food. I mean, candy, you know, people can hold, but food and money. Hey, I like that. Like my honest living's earning on Halloween night. The, tradi- the tradition of dressing in costume for Halloween was both European and Celtic roots. Hundreds of years ago, winter was an uncertain and frightening time. Food supplies often ran low. And for the many people afraid of the dark, the short days of winter were full of constant worry. That would have been me. I'm afraid of the dark. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) On Halloween, when it was believed that ghosts came back to the earthly world, people thought that they would encounter ghosts if they left their homes. To avoid being recognized by these ghosts, people would wear masks when they left their homes after dark, so the ghosts would mistake them for fellow spirits. I guess they see um, purge people. People with... um, those are the long ass beak doctor masks, which cool. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. I know I'd be dumb enough on Halloween to keep spirits away from their house. People would place bowls of food outside their homes to appease the ghosts and prevent them from attempting to enter. Black cats and ghosts. I have a black cat. Where's he at? Batman. Where's Batman? Nowhere to be found. Usual. <laughs> he might be in your room. I don't see him. Nah. Probably. Anyway. Halloween has always been a holiday filled with mystery, magic, and superstition. It began as a Celtic end of summer festival during which people felt especially close to deceased relatives and friends. For these friendly spirits, they set places at the dinner table, left treats on doorsteps, and along the side of the road and lit candles to help loved ones find their way back to the spirit world. That sounds like the Day of the Dead. Hmm. 
Today's Halloween ghosts are often depicted as more fearsome and malevolent. And our custom and superstitions are scarier too. We avoid crossing paths with black cats. Afraid they might bring us bad luck. Hmm. I wonder if that explained my luck. Ah, we're good. This idea has its roots in the Middle Ages when many people believed that witches avoided detection by turning themselves into black cats. Ah. We try not to walk under ladders for the same reason. This superstition uh, may have come from the ancient Egyptians, ancients, who believed that triangles were sacred. It also may have something to do with the fact that walking under a leaning ladder tends to be fairly unsafe. And around Halloween especially, we try to avoid breaking mirrors, stepping on cracks in the roads, or spilling salt. Halloween matchmaking and lesser known rituals. But what about the Halloween traditions and beliefs that today's trick-or-treaters have forgotten all about? Many of these obsolete rituals focused on the future instead of the past and the living instead of the dead. In particular, many had to do with helping young women identify their future husbands and reassuring them that they would someday, with luck, by next Halloween, be married. That just sounds all kind of wrong, but okay, I feel you. I, I got you. In 18th century Ireland, a matchmaking cook might bury a ring in her mashed potatoes on Halloween night, hoping to bring true love to the diner who found it. Sounds like a trap to me. In Scotland, fortune tellers recommended that an eligible young woman name a hazelnut for each of her suitors and then toss the nuts into the fireplace. The nut that burned to ashes rather than popping or exploding, the story went, represented the girl's future husband. In some versions of this legend, the opposite was true. The nut that burned away symbolized the love that would not last. Another tale had it that if a young woman ate a sugary concoction made out of walnuts, hazelnuts, or nutmeg before bed on Halloween night, she would dream about her future husband. Where does this, where does it even come up? Why? What's with the nuts? Oh, my mind's getting dirty. Okay, never mind. We, we pass it. Young women tossed apple peels over their shoulder, hoping that the peels would fall on the floor in the shape of their future husband's initials. Try to learn about their futures by peering at egg yolks floating in a bowl of water and stood in front of their mirrors in darkened rooms, holding candles and looking over their shoulders for their husbands' faces. Yeah, I know. That's creepy. I ain't that desperate yet. <clears throat> anyway, other rituals were more competitive. At some Halloween parties, the first guest to find a burr. What the fuck is a burr? Oh, okay. I... Should have finished reading it. First guest to find a burr on a chest, chestnut hunt, still don't know what a burr is, would be the first to marry. At others, the first successful apple bobber would be the first down the aisle. Of course, whether you were asking for romantic advice or trying to avoid seven years of bad luck, each of these Halloween superstitions rely on the goodwill of the very same spirits whose presence the early Celtics felt so keenly. The end. <sighs> well, that last tidbit, I don't know. I feel you, you're going to come up with all kinds of things. You're going to see things you want to see. 
if you feel that you're ready, it's going to pop out for you. I don't know if I'm making any sense. You pretty much visualize what you want. What you bring out of yourself into the universe, it comes back at you, etc., etc. So, of course, if you're that excited about marriage, whatever, <laughs> it's going to come to fruition. At least that's what I think. So, okay, guys, I want to thank y'all so much. This was the first run around of me doing it on my own solo. I feel weird laughing at myself. I hope y'all had more of a better laugh than I had laughing at me. Am I making sense? Probably not. No, I'm just feeling awkward. My bad. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. I want to thank y'all so, so much for listening to me today. Hope y'all had a good day, great evening, awesome morning. And yeah, talk to you on the next one. Bye.